Hey, welcome to Culture Dumps. It's Ryan Lichten, and today is another special guest interview day. Sitting down with Eddie Schmidt, who is an Academy Award-nominated filmmaker. He's a documentarian, producer, director, author, all the good stuff. And I'm a huge fan of a lot of his films, actually on our Patreon side series, DocuDumps, where we review documentaries. Uh, I believe there's been a couple that, that were his, um, particularly Chain Camera, which we're going to be speaking to him about Uh done a lot of amazing stuff, a lot of true crime stuff, a lot of heavy stuff, also a lot of kind of stuff that's in the dump realm, like a documentary about the founder of Jelly Belly, and, you know, he, he co-authored a book about the history of the middle finger, and I mean, just all, all kinds of different stuff. Uh, this is going to be a great one, so buckle up, folks. All right, here we are. I'm here with Eddie Schmidt now. Uh, I have so many things that I want to talk to you about and want to ask you. Um, wow. Yeah, I'll try not to uh, fan out too hard because you know, <laughs> uh, on our Patreon, we review documentaries as a side series, and I think we've done maybe two or three of yours. Um, oh, nice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all good reviews, by the way. Not <laughs> we, 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 we... <laughs> Otherwise, I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess I just want to start at the top. I mean, you've done so many things. Your credits are, you know, it, it goes on and on. Um, but it's mostly documentary space, you know, and, and, and you know, real stuff, real life. Uh, why documentaries? Why was that the kind of field that you aim towards? Um, well, it's probably two things that sort of came together. I, I think I realized a long time ago that my like tastes my especially my literary tastes were going toward nonfiction like I would read a lot of like you know juicy nonfiction you know expose type things or celebrity biographies or certainly anything about comedy anything about Hollywood anything that had sort of a juicy you know element to it that was real and and that sort of coincided with just life in the sense that you know I had been um you know, in my 20s, like working in post-production, kind of worked my way up. I became a post-production supervisor, sort of like the producer of post, you know, and it so happened that I ended up uh, as post-producer on an indie documentary called Sick, Kirby Dick's um, movie about Bob Flanagan, the self-proclaimed super masochist. Oh, yeah, I have that. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that's a that's a Ryan film. That's definitely <laughs> in the zone. But it's, you know, and sure, it, there's, I suppose, sensational aspects to that story, but it's a very rigorous and well-made tale, real-life tale, uh, about someone living through pain, right? So I responded to it. Uh, I, I worked all through post. I remember being on the mixing, sound mixing stage and in one of the more extreme <laughs> uh pieces that Bob does on his own body, let's just say. It's the pain he inflicts on his own body. Uh, lunch was brought in and I was really hungry and I was eating a chicken sandwich and, and the mixer actually stopped and turned around and said, how can you eat while you watch this guy do this to himself? And I was like, you know, yeah, I guess out of context, but I have watched this now probably hundreds of times. So yeah. I'm desensitized and I'm hungry. Um, but, you know, Kirby and I really hit it off. And, you know, then he said, hey, I've got this uh, development deal with HBO. Do you want to produce it with me? And I thought, yeah, I, I do. Um, and it sort of was a precursor to a film that then we made together with Dodie Dorn a few years later called Chain Camera, which at the time was like a revolutionary idea of like, 
giving subjects in a documentary their own cameras. Get that, yeah. kids, because we didn't have cell phone cameras. We didn't have – people were not recording all the time. And people – the idea of taking power to tell your own story and the democratization of media hadn't come come through technologically. So that was a, a groundbreaking idea, and we made it you know, set in a high school – high school students sharing their lives and that went to Sundance in 2001 and that put me on a documentary path because before that I was sort of more on like a comedy path and even like a scripted path I was doing shorts that went to festivals and things like that but so those two things together kind of what I was into in my own life particularly in books and then the way that sort of my career just happened to open a door right yeah you know as far as like the juicy books go i mean that's kind of my way into what i do now um have you read hollywood babylon i'm guessing that was that was one Uh, you know it's interesting that's one that i think i used to like thumb through when i worked at walden books in high school i just like you know the slow i'd pick it up and like oh whoa what's this jane mansfield yeah (laughs) and so i don't know that i and i'm aware of kenneth anger in college actually i think we they used to have a collection of short films and we had like the keys to the screening room so we went in one night at like 1 a.m and watched um invocation of my demon brother yeah (laughs) you know at like uh, you know that was a, a, a college underground experience. So anyway, I know Kenneth Anger, but that's actually one that I haven't really read cover to cover. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's fantastic whether or not all of it's true or, or not. But right. yeah, and again, Kenneth Anger, uh, it's so funny because he wrote that super juicy book, but then his films are so not Hollywood. You know, it's... Uh, <laughs> right, they're experimental films, yeah. Yeah, he, exactly. he actually used to come into the Museum of Death when I was working there, and he'd have like five oh, or wow. six bags with them like he he just looked like a schlub you know he'd, he'd still take his stuff to the post office himself he was missing a couple teeth he'd sit down do you have an iced tea and uh we, we'd hang out with kenneth anger but um i want i, I just wanted to ask you this because i i know that some of our listeners aren't so familiar with like the technical terms but what is sure. say in the documentary world there's cinema verite and there's direct yeah. cinema what what's the difference between the two for the uninitiated Oof. I don't even know if I could say if I could properly define it. I guess I, I guess I, I mean, I suppose what you're getting at, I think I could be totally wrong, but I I mean, I I think it has to do a little bit more with a slightly active approach and a completely quote unquote fly on the wall approach. Maybe I'm getting direct cinema wrong, but, um, but, but Verite, you know, is capturing life as it happens. Um, that being said, you're you know it 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 is as things unfold, but um, you're moving to capture it. Um, I don't know. I think I'm doing a very bad job <laughs> of even approaching this. Maybe I need to go back to film school. Oh please, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, the only reason why I ask because uh, I I took a documentary class, you know, and the only reason why okay. I even went to it was because it was in a theater. So they would just play. They would talk for like five minutes, and then play two films, and they brought that up. And now that's how I look at everything. And I think Chain Camera okay. is a great example of like like direct approach, where it's like this is it, right? You know what I mean? Like there's no right. interference from. anyone behind the scenes, you know, there's like very, I don't think there's any narration, you know, it's just kind of like the title card and then here we go. Nope. There's, there is none. And, you know, obviously we had to make editing choices, you know, and a lot of them both within sequence, uh, what, who to go in and who maybe not to go in and how to put those montages together that sort of sum up the school year. There's like a prom sequence and a graduation sequence, but yes, in terms of like what's in front of the camera and what the students were choosing to show, no, we, we that was the whole 
the whole point. So yes, that does as direct as it comes, I guess. Yeah. It's so funny. I have all these uh, questions just about chain camera, but I'm not going to focus on it too much (laughs) just because I love it. Like I love the scene when the girl is watching wrestling with her dad and the dad won't stop swearing and like, and she's just like, dad, shut up. He's like, bitch, but just screaming at the TV. That's great. I love the girl. That's like, I want to be a stripper. Like, I feel like there's so many glimmers of, youth culture now that were captured yes. in that i mean do, do you feel the same way i do i mean i you know in some ways i'm like gee if we were more business minded we would have been youtube and be multi-billionaires but you know our interest was in you know making something that would be kind of breakthrough culturally and be artistically interesting so we weren't really into business aspects but we did kind of think this is where the culture's going we definitely had that feeling and we incorporated that technique into later films that we did in twist of faith. I mean, interestingly enough, that's maybe that's a tipping point. So that's like came out in 2004, 2005, but that subject, that's about sexual abuse in the Catholic church. And that subject whom we connected with, who is sort of our, our main subject, Tony in Toledo, Ohio, he was already documenting, you know, not with a cell phone camera that didn't exist, but with his own home video camera, some of the moments of struggle in his family as he tried to grapple with his past. So in a way it was like, oh, we sort of found our ideal chain camera subject. He is already filming himself. The film was built around us filming him, but it also utilized his moments. And so, yeah, we did really feel that that was an asset and 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 as um, direct as it comes in terms of someone's unfettered truth coming through a camera. And so, yeah, I, I guess it's interesting when you sort of look back and go, Oh, right. So that's the watershed. Now people are going, it's all going to be people documenting themselves. Yeah. I also think it's interesting because it's so raw and like the kids, you know, they they have this camera, so they're showing their lives. Now when kids are on social media presenting their life, it's very tailored, you know, and they want to present an image. And I think the difference was like, there wasn't an idea of putting out like an aesthetic image of what they think their life should look like to others. It, It was very real. And now I feel like it's very not, but it's so much more documented, like as far as being a teenager. That's right. It's interesting you say that because I remember when we were first starting to do it, we would say to them, you know, we weren't there when they were filming, but we tried to give them, you know, tips just so that they weren't filming with the lens cap on or something. And we, I remember, I remember saying, we need to see your world and you in it. In other words, most people's uh, inclination at the time with a video camera, and if you look at people's old home movies, the person behind the camera is rarely seen. They're almost always talking at everybody you see on camera, but they almost never think to turn around or just for a minute. And they're like, hi. And now, of course, because you can flip your phone around and see yourself as you go, there's no extra step and everybody's self-focused. Right. <laughs> that's all they're doing. But but we actually had to make a point and say, yeah, we, we want to. We Otherwise, we couldn't, in a way, use it because some people would just film from their point of view and then well, I don't know what their point of view is because I can't literally see them on screen. Yeah. That was something that actually had to be addressed. Right. You, <laughs> yeah. Pre, <laughs> it's like we're talking about pre-selfie. ancient times. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's yeah. like before pre-selfie, the selfie. Right. Uh, now, was that the first <laughs> film that you ever showed at like Sundance? It was. Yeah. What's that it like? Was, you know, going Kurt, there for your first time. Uh, oh, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, look, it just, it was incredible in the sense that they've always put documentaries on the same uh, level as as narrative, so it was never like as as it often was throughout history until you know more recently considered this sort of you know c- 
cousin or something to to a real movie and they didn't do that it was like no the doc competition the narrative competition or or dramatic competition rather it's all of of the same piece all of the same quality and same innovation so that was already a huge boost and eye-opener but yeah of course it 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 really started me on a, a real career i mean again before that i i was sort of you know had day jobs in the industry I was at a sketch group. We were on the verge of maybe getting our own series that never happened <laughs> and and pursuing this sort of documentary, you know, indie side thing and seeing what, what would happen. And that's what happened. And so that's so I ran with it. You know? Yeah. And, you know, just a couple of years later, you came out with Twist of Faith, which was nominated for an Academy yeah. Award. I mean, that's such a quick jump. I mean, what, what like <laughs> was your head spinning? I mean, did you go to the Oscars for that? I did. I did go to the Oscars. Um yeah, I'd gone once before, uh, just, at, you know, somebody had an extra ticket. And so so we at least kind of knew the drill a little bit. We sat in the way back and had nothing. You know, it was like we were very excited, though, because the celebrities that we saw were Don Rickles, <laughs> Fiona Apple and Paul Thomas Anderson together and Weird Al. So I was like, hey, <laughs> Mary fuck <that's> kill. Good... <laughs> <laughs> no, there's but only one right answer I, and it's fuck Don Rickles. I, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I was thrilled with with that group, um, but so we had been a few years earlier. And then when you're nominated, I mean, it was it was a trip in the sense that that was the one year. I don't think they've done it. Well, I guess they did do some gimmicky things, but I don't think they've ever had the whole group of nominees on stage. Oh. So that so that you know there, you'd see shots of the audience, but then they're off of you. You know, they, I don't think they put up a box even of faces like they did with stars for something like documentary. But your your whole body is standing. <laughs> live together and then you find out that you lost yeah yeah in front of <laughs> 50 million people or whatever so you're i remember actually like feeling my cheek twitch because i was trying to hold a smile but i was actually thinking oh we lost we're in front of the world and we lost yeah <laughs> Yeah, you, you have like, so, that's a very unique experience, you know, like it's very small percentage of filmmakers that get nominated for an Academy Award. But there's like, I feel like, I mean, obviously there's way more people that lose than win. And yeah, th- sure. to have that experience of like the high and then kind of the low. Uh, do you remember who won that year? Yes, it was the movie Born Into Brothels. Oh, okay. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, on the DVD, again, dating ourselves with physical media here, but on the DVD of Born Into Brothels, they have the clip of the from the Oscars, so you can actually watch us lose over and over again <laughs> through time. <laughs> but it's it's still kind of cool, you know. Leonardo DiCaprio's introducing everybody's names, and you know it's a big moment, and and it actually was preserved on the DVD release of that film. So that's kind of a it, it's it, it's actually I will say that with with distance, it, it, it's true. It is an honor just to be nominated. It absolutely is, and oftentimes. People don't remember who won. They just remember that it was, you know, up there in the in the best of or what was considered the best of that time. So um, I'm again, yeah, like Sundance, hugely appreciative of that honor and it and it and it definitely helped my career yeah i mean yeah i mean i can only imagine and now you have like this interesting mix you know like chain camera it's it's there's light parts but then there's like dark parts twist of faith is obviously incredibly heavy um and you know yeah. you, you produced valentine road about the killing of a he yep. was uh, or they were transgendered right the the yep. student that was murdered yep. by another student um it, it's you know all this heavy stuff but then you also have like the candy man and you know this film you know yet, yet to be rated in all, all these things. Do you have a preference between like kind of the heavier stuff and the lighter stuff? 
Well, I don't because it's sort of both sides of my personality. I mean, I, I, I guess I slightly hew, maybe there's a little bit more of at least kind of public me in sort of the more irreverent kind of freewheeling fun stuff because I think I'm someone that likes to have fun and likes to, you know, be provoke a little bit. Um, but I think so there's a, a provocative element, I guess, running through all of it. But I think that the darker stuff yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm drawn to it, but I I I would I would I will say, uh, it's very draining. In other words, you know, you you make a film, a rigorous film about sex abuse in the Catholic Church, like that's an emotional journey for your subjects, but also for yourself as filmmakers. And uh, I made a film about hospice, you know, which was really uh, the end, right? Giving, yeah, yeah, giving cameras to people at the end of their lives. Valentine Road, as you mentioned. Um, so these things, I think, they take more out of you in a sense i mean they're uh, they're powerful and I, I i'm glad that we did them but i think sometimes the the stuff that's sort of a little more freewheeling and fun um yeah it sort of uh keeps the rest of your life in balance yeah i guess yeah sure i i, I can imagine i mean yeah even just you know re doing research on some of these things it's just like ah uh, yes. yeah because it sticks in your head you know and it sticks with you and you having the personal experience of being with the interview subjects and things like that i'm sure that you, you take away a lot more you, than you bargained you, for in some cases yeah and it can come into your own personal life because you're like wow i was i had to absorb all this from from people in real trauma and then how do i deal with like my own life's issues and my own family which isn't as you know as 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 traumatic as what they're going through but still requires emotional effort in your own life um you know it's interesting because even the sort of quote-unquote fun ones or or <laughs> lighter ones have a lot of if not darkness, then uh, an edge to them. Certainly this film is not yet rated, has a lot of edge. Um, and even something like Gilbert, the Gilbert Godfrey doc right. that I didn't direct, but exec produced, that has, it's very funny and very raucous and, you know, as Gilbert was in his comedy, but also has a lot of bittersweet, you know, life moments and kind of truth about what it means to be a comic and what it means to kind of, express yourself through, you know, use humor to get through life. And um, so, yeah, I feel like even in the ones that have on the surface seem like, come join us, it's more fun. <laughs> they have they have certain elements to them that are still not all sunshiny and and or, or if they're sweet, they have some teeth. Right. And I mean, that's what always drew me to documentaries, especially like quirky ones, you know, like American movie and, and things like that. It's like it, it's, oh, so it's so funny, but like it's fucking depressing you know and like that to me is like what what makes documentaries my absolute favorite genre you know and why i love so oh. many of your films but thank you but and there are so many great ones it's interesting like i i am an appreciator you know like i was the board president of the international documentary association for a number of years and i was really thrilled to put the spotlight on other filmmakers and whether it was to have you know, sit down with a Steve James or a Lucy Walker and, uh, you know, um, and, and go through their career or whether it was just, you know, having a great screening series. I I'm the I'm the first person to be bowled over when something comes along like a three identical strangers. I saw it in the theater and it's like, this is a roller coaster. I didn't know this story. It's so well structured. It's like you're laughing, then you're gasping, then, you know, I mean, it's got everything, you know, or tickled uh, is another great tickled film. is the last documentary <laughs> I saw in a theater and no one knew what the <laughs> fuck they were getting into. It's so insane. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm the my current obsession is how to with John Wilson. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, that's so good. Love it. I mean, I feel like again because you know you spend so many hours constructing these things in an edit in a, on a shoot. You feel like oh, I sometimes you're like I can see where this is going, or they could have done this, but they did that. With how to with John Wilson. I will like giggle this high pitched laugh of delight where I'm like, <laughs> didn't see it coming. Would never have expected that we would get there from here. You know, I mean the, the scaffolding episode and there's like a episode about parking spaces. They all go to these, you know, deep truths, but they're hilarious and you would never see them coming in. But and ho- however they, <laughs> whoever organizes his avid bins. Yeah. Was like, construction guys scratching themselves dogs vomiting like how do, <laughs> how do they even like locate these shots like he shoots them but then how how they pull them up seemingly effortlessly as cutaways amazing yeah he uh he reminds me of that there was a guy from kind of like the 80s through the uh, early 90s nelson sullivan who was part of the like oh i don't know him. yeah the new york scene and he always had a camera with him so he was filming like like the studio 54 kind of clubs and then up until the club kids with the Michael Alec murder and all that stuff. And oh, he wow. had, I mean, thousands of hours worth of tapes. Now they've been submitted to, I think UCLA has them in their archives now, like his complete thing. But yeah, it's just like, how do you take oh. that much footage and cherry pick these little things? Yeah. So John Wilson is, is, is an absolute genius. Um, yeah. Documentaries in the last, I want to say, 15 years have just exploded. It's now, I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. some of the most watched things on all the streamers. To me, I think the big turnaround to bring public interest, like on a mainstream level, to documentaries was Supersize Me. Um, mm. you, you know, it's like, because that was, I mean, that was just such a huge sensation. And then people started wanting to see real right. stuff. You actually were part of the Morgan Spurlock's 50 documentaries you have to see before you die series. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was uh, like a consultant, I think, because at the time I was the head of the IDA. And so there was like a brain trust that helped come up with, you know, a, a potential list. It's always hard when you're like ranking art. Sure. Right. But 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 again, we thought, oh, well, well, this is just a way it's a gateway for people to start and go, oh, my God. And then I was the talking head. Right. Also, you know, I was in- interviewed. So I'm, I'm, I appear in the episodes. Yeah. Uh, so when you're ranking 50, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't even remember what, what the number one was that was on that list. I think it was Hoop Dreams. It might have been Hoop Dreams. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and I know like Par- I Paris so. is Burning is always in the top 10 of any documentary list ever. Was for me. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Now, huge influence. this is going to be a tough question, but what is the like in your opinion, the best documentary and why is it American movie? Oh, start there and work backwards. I mean, American movie is fantastic and it is in a, 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 my personal best of for me. I, I mean, crumb was oh, another yeah. one that huge, like eye opener. And, 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 and I should say going back to my earlier point, like, yes, I was reading a lot of nonfiction, but I was also realizing in the nineties crumb hoop dreams like oh there there are these documentaries that have the power of great narrative filmmaking and that are theatrical experiences and well-crafted you know movies so so that was part of it too but gosh the it's it's so hard because there are so many great what summer of soul is great i mean a lot of these a lot of docs are great for um different reasons so i, I always find it very hard to come up with any kind of best and and yeah like it we were saying with the pool of 50, it was like, I think I was just grateful that we were giving people 
50 to chew on, you know, truth or dare is in there. Another great film. Like, uh, so it's hard for me to like pick one, but it sounds like American, American movies. Yours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's certainly up there. Uh, I would also say the beaver trilogy. Uh, if, if you're familiar with, Oh, that. I'm aware of it, but actually yeah, I'm aware because Bill Fishman directed part of it, right? Uh, or so, uh, it, maybe. it was I forget his name. It was one director, but it's a trilogy because the first 15 minutes is is real. Yeah. And then he made a short film right. off of it with Sean Penn, Priest, Bacoli, right. and then <laughs> he did another one that's like a fully produced short film in color and everything with Crispin Glover. So you have like three different versions. Yeah. Um, and I believe one of the heads of Sundance said that is the best film that's ever been shown <laughs> at Sundance. Period. Interesting. Oh wow. Okay. I mean, I. Should I, I'm totally aware of it, but I probably should seek it out. Yeah, yeah. The um, director, he uh, he still teaches film in Utah, and uh, I bought a DVD from him. He just like mails you a, a burnt copy because he can oh, because okay. of the star power cool. of these kids that he had hired that they have now. He can't get a release, you know, to to, uh, to put them wow. out. It's like you have to work with Crispin Glover's people and Sean Penn's people and like all this shit. Yeah. It's like, oh God. Oh no. But uh, but okay. let's get back to to the matter at hand here. You've done a, a sure. bunch of true crime stuff. What is it about? I mean, including the case of John Bonet Ramsey, uh, mm-hmm. and I want to ask you about that in a second. But what is it about true crime that you think attracts people, and what attracts you to it? Well, we've talked a lot about yeah. this, you and I. <laughs> I mean, I mean, <clears throat> I guess I feel like it's a very kind of um, shared, you know, human nature. We all know, you know, we. Mortality is coming for us. Uh, I think it is the same kind of thing of like the car accident. And you're kind of craning to see, was it a bad one? Oh, I hope it's not a bad one. Was it a bad one? Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's that impulse because we all have, we, you know, as far as we know, we're the only animals who know they're going to die. Maybe other animals do, but they're not telling us. So that I think does instill something in you. And I guess part of it also has to do with, yeah, like, what can we learn in our, you know, relationships with others? What can we watch out for, for the, yeah, the creep sure. factor out there? How can we protect ourselves? And then they are kind of, I think they sort of go back to like, I mean, look, the original, like, you know, fairy tales and campfire tales. And like, you know, there's always been ghost stories and stories to scare you. And these are real life horror stories. And I think they hold... Uh, yeah, a, a repulsion and a fascination for people. Um, I wish people would examine those impulses a little more because I think there's learning to be done there. Even yeah. you know, but it, it's interesting to see even if they just keep coming, and sometimes t- to the point of exhaustion. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're you're telling me it's like every day. It's like okay, I get it. John Gacy, I get it. You know what I mean? Like Manson. Yes, I I, I get it. Um, you know, and actually, it's funny you mentioned fairy tales. I read somewhere that um, the idea of a vampire or a werewolf comes from Mm. people finding like murder victims and they would see human footprints walking away from them, but there's no way a person could have done this to another person. So it must be some kind of half wolf, half man, Must be a beast, you know, that kind of a thing. Now, you know, we're we're mentioning that there's so much, yeah, Chupacabra, you know, the Jersey (laughs) devil, what what have you. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Montauk monster. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Um, You you know, there's, there are so many true crime documentaries coming out and about so many, you know, about the things that have just been rehashed over and over. And you did a John Bonet Ramsey doc. How does one approach something that's been covered so much and like give it a fresh face? 
Well, I I hope that we did that. I mean, I think the idea of getting together these kind of crack real investigators, some, you know, most who had had some connection to the case in some way or or had you know spent time analyzing it to come together as like a brain trust and hash out you know because there's been so much re- reported on it and, and kind of go through all the theories and the evidence I, I to me that felt fresh and that felt uh active and it felt um yeah more um in depth i suppose yeah who do you think did it Oh, I can't. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Not going on. I'm not going near that. That that is. You know. Again, there's been many theories. I think if you watch the show, you see that the investigators, uh, you know, c- come to come to some theories that that could have. But but you know, again, it's just nobody knows. Yeah, so it's just it's just one of those things. Now, be, besides all the feature length stuff, uh, and obviously, you know, the John Bonet thing was it was a series. What are you, you've done tons of series, especially you know for like history channel things like that what are like the different challenges between say making a series versus a feature well a series has to have legs in the sense that um i mean a feature is a very specific thing and i think of it in a very kind of three act classical structure you know like a screenwriter would and so it's like you're setting up things in the first act that have to pay off in the third and i think because of people's sophistication like it really has to demand that it's a feature, that it's a movie, that I give it 90 minutes, two hours of my uninterrupted time. That's not just a series it has a bigger canvas, right? So, so, it, but, but it's, so a series allows you to kind of dip in and dip out and have things that kind of, you know, don't have to pay off immediately, or, you know, you've got a lot of more leeway, but you also have to make sure that you have enough turns, enough things that will pivot or spin into something you didn't see coming so that you want to, to go the distance, you know, run, run the distance with the idea. So yeah, it has a, has a lot to do with structure and flow and some things don't lend themselves. You know, they just, a lot of times some you'll come up with an idea or somebody comes in with a pitch to, to maybe partner on it. And I think, Oh, that seems more like a feature or, yeah, it's a series, but if it's a series, it's only, two parts or it's four parts it can, it's not eight or ten parts i mean i think some of the doc series that we've seen come out in the you know kind of more recent glut of them probably would have benefited from a, some a fewer episodes you know like they did they had great story but maybe they only had six episodes and not eight yeah i, I think that a lot with some where it's like i could just watch this in two hours i don't need you know the the six hour yep. stretch right. of this do you think that that's like um that like the way that some of those shows where there's too much of it has to do with the streaming platforms and it's about the clicks and it's about the watch time and all that. Like how, how has streaming affected the way a show is produced? Yeah, I think it has affected it in the sense that they want whatever they, I don't know, rate of return or whatever they call it. They want you to, you know, stay in the store, right? They want you to keep watching on their, on their service. So I think it does mean that things that maybe should have been shorter might be longer or that, certain kinds of storytelling that maybe are more anthological have a harder time because you know they they're they're the idea is that if there's a an arc a one or character arc or thing that's unfolding then you can't possibly pick and choose and go oh i don't want to watch the one about the purple coat i want to watch the one about the brown shoe you know <laughs> because the, i don't care about a purple coat like that people wouldn't feel the urgency of like i've got to watch every one so i think it's made for some great shows but it can be limiting in the sense that you go yeah but 
maybe I have a multifaceted story that actually has a purple coat and a brown shoe and I don't, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I need to, I, I, the creator need to tell it this way. If people then decide they don't want to watch the purple, I forget what my analogy was, <laughs> purple coat, but you know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it can be limiting. Um, right. So. Yeah, it, it's such like a, a new world and it's still changing. It's like, it's just so overwhelming sometimes with just the amount of shit. And then if one company has one, like, you know, I, I worked on a Woodstock 99 documentary and uh -huh. it was uh, it was the first one in production, but it was the last one to be released, you know? So, and it's funny because it's like, right. well, HBO came out with one, but now Netflix has to have one because not everyone has a subscription to both. And then we need one for Paramount Plus and then we need this. So there's just <laughs> like all the same shit being put out and it's all about the clicks rather than the content, I feel like. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I hope not, but I do worry sometimes that, yeah, certain it, it means that certain stories are getting told and they're probably getting told well and they're getting a lot of eyeballs. But it can also mean that a lot of great stories aren't getting told because they don't conform to our kind of, yeah, to the sort of like commercial need to keep people right. <laughs> sitting there and, 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 and not. Uh, getting up and making a sandwich. Right, I exactly. Now, uh, I I read up that one of your first uh, shows that you ever worked on was Blind Date, the yes, sensation. It was. Do you have any yeah. uh, any memories of Blind Date? Because that's a culture dump. <laughs> that's in culture dump territory. That show. Yes, right, right. I mean, just that it was tremendous fun. I mean, you know, it was this particularly with this group. I mean, I had been doing sketch, and we were sort of recruited to write jokes you know the joke bubbles for the show and i was just in this room of end to end you know in like a one giant room of like you know 12 hilarious people with like the sort of vhs tv <laughs> model and headphones you know and, and our com you know computer and just trying to make something you know t five minutes funny out of you know a 35 minute kind of string out of a, of a whole date and um and they were just yeah great hilarious people in that room that I that I really enjoy to this day who've gone on to do interesting things and I think yeah it's sort of it's interesting because I I never I don't think about it this way but the way you kind of put it in the conversation I'm like oh I guess that is documentary and comedy huh I guess that makes sense that it was because <laughs> for so long it was there you know there was a dichotomy in my resume of like wait you've done this comedy writing producing and you've done all this like you know, prestige stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's me. I'm... <laughs> and, and so I found a way to, to sort of fuse both, but I sort of think of them as being distinct, you know, being nominated for an Oscar and writing the bubbles on blind date, but, but maybe <laughs> not so because, cool. be... <laughs> but maybe not because those bubbles, you know, those, that was a real experience that we then put another layer on of commentary and, and humor. So it sort of does, I guess, fit into everything else that I've done. It all, it's, it's all linear. You know what I mean? It's, it's all one, one big mm -hmm. pie. Now, it, yeah. I, I've always been confused about this, and I, I feel like you're the perfect guy because you were one. What is a fucking showrunner? What, 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 what is a showrunner? <laughs> As opposed to like a producer or director. I mean, what, what, what's a showrunner? Yeah, it's a term that I think it's funny because you'll go back now, see them refer to like old shows and be like, well, the showrunner to get smart. And I'm thinking like, <laughs> yeah, there probably was somebody that fulfilled the the job description, but they didn't use the term showrunner. But now in order for us to think of them as the creative boss of the show, we need to apply that term. But, you know, yeah, I mean, in, it's in, in television, like an executive producer credit carries more weight than a producer credit, but it's different in features. It's sort of the opposite, right? In terms of like the, the you know, how much, whatever your sort of so-called contribution is viewed. But so 
you know, a showrunner is often as an executive producer credit. You don't really see an on-screen showrunner credit, but it is what they are. It just means, yeah, you're you're in charge of the creative vision that's running the ship. And so all things flow from that. Um, But really it is, you know, so there's but it is a TV term. Right. You know, so you're yeah, you're sort of like the captain of the ship but it's with the focus i mean obviously the budget and everything has to you know flow on through this but it's all in service of what are we making here what is the tone how how do you know how do we best serve it how do we you know, how do we best visualize it you know that all starts with that position gotcha uh now you you worked on the book uh the finger the comprehensive guide yeah. to flipping <laughs> off yeah it came out in 1998 um mm. it, can you give me like an abridged, just quick history of the of the finger, like <laughs> what you learned? Well, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a while, but and it's all in the book. We this was you know pre Google, so we spent a lot of time at actual physical libraries in the late '90s, looking up all this obscure stuff. But a lot of online, well, a lot of uh, I should say p- published reports around that time or to that point would refer to a battle of Agincourt as the potential origin of the finger. And that wasn't true. We just felt like it went back much earlier that there were references in Aristophanes, <laughs> that there were, that there were theories of kind of these, um, you know, uh, animal behaviorists like Desmond Morris and stuff that, um, that suggested in a way that the finger was essentially a socialized, phallic stand-in to say uh, up yours that like it went back to primate behavior um i tried to ask jane goodall about this once and she really waved waved me away she didn't give you the finger like a, she she may as well if she was just like that's nonsense or poppycock or whatever she she was not happy to talk to me about that but i did it because we at one point had a development deal and we're trying to turn the finger book into a doc which i still think we would love to do and would still be a lot of fun but I, and so I ended up actually getting another animal behaviorist to, to, who did believe in that theory to, to talk on camera. But yeah, Jane Goodall was having none of it. <laughs> but yeah, so it, and anyway, so it all all of it goes back to sort of, yeah, early kind of human behavior and, and a very primal expression, uh, you know, that that's deep within us. That that finger is, uh, <laughs> you know. A, uh, a a reptilian urge <laughs> to dominate the lizard brain just acting out. Yeah, that's so that's yeah. so fucking funny. But I was very happy with that book, and it's funny. But yeah, so now next year would be its twenty fifth anniversary. But it was sort of the Urban Outfitters cool book of its time, like ninety eight, ninety nine, maybe a little two thousand. And uh, it I uh, <laughs> we go through all this stuff. I'm like, oh, these are all very like culty niche oddball but i think it's funny because those things also have a sort of lasting quality to them i mean um so i'm very happy with this sort of oddball body of work yeah absolutely no i mean it's again it's great because and i I love talking to you because like you've done the really heavy stuff and then a book on the middle finger you know what i mean and like i just love people that have this well of knowledge you know about all different (laughs) kinds of things Thank you. Well, and with the same amount of effort. I mean, that's the thing is like people think the silly stuff. No, no, no. We 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 work just as hard on the goofball stuff uh, to make it just as dense and rigorous as the serious stuff. Yeah. Now uh, we were going to wind it down here. Um, but, you know, b- before we end it, you, you seen any good movies lately? 
Yeah, I have. Uh, I've seen a few. I saw, um, I actually, you might ask me this, so I, I'm pulling up. I, I really liked Red Rocket a lot. Yeah, the, that Red the Rocket. porn actor, right? That, that uh, <laughs> It's about, it's with, uh, what's his name, Simon Rex? With Simon Rex. Yeah. He's great in it. The, the whole cast is great. Um, and that filmmaker's talented. I really liked Vengeance, which is that, B.J. Novak's film. But that was a really well done, you know, well told tale with a lot of surprises, dark humor and suspense, good characters. Um, yeah, I think those those are the ones that come immediately to mind. I did want to say, though, that uh, when we talk about docs, one doc that I think didn't get the attention it deserves, which is very much in line with your audience and your taste, is the Tiny Tim documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we did a, an episode about him. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, anything. I could watch Tiny Tim stuff all day. I, oh, I, I yeah. Mean, like, just him with a gefilte fish, like, and, like, just, I, I mean, just <laughs> what what a guy. But, yeah, I mean, that I remember everyone was really excited when the trailer came out, and then you just didn't hear about it. You know, like, it, it kind right. of fell off. Yeah, I think I don't know what their distribution was, but I think people should seek it out because I think there's a lot of like, well, and you know, because you've covered Tiny Tim's story. There's a lot of layers to Mr. Tim. Oh, absolutely. That I think get explored in the doc, um, you know, in a thoughtful way. Right. Now, let's see. One last thing. Is is there like a subject that you wish, you know, you could have made, you know, a, a doc on or even a scripted Ooh. movie on like, like that? Just it's just not going to happen. But like, what's like the dream subject that Oof. like just won't won't come to fruition <laughs> there's so many right there's just a huge list i used to think it was so cool of like oh yeah we should do a show about people's unmade projects and then as i have more and more i think nobody we don't want to talk about our unmade we're we're sad to talk so there's a few that i won't mention because i still hope they'll happen sure uh so so i'll put those aside I mean, there were two that I had wanted to do that I can sort of never happen now. Like uh, one, one ended up happening, but without me. But I was working for years to do a doc on National Lampoon, the sort of the, the kind of heyday of National Lampoon that I wanted to call "The Revolution Will Be Satirized." Ah. And it ended, you know, and I had the rights for a while and was working with, you know, uh, the, um, people connected to the original Lampoon, you know, to make it happen, and uh, and then my rights last and they ended up making it with somebody else and, and did a fine job. But I wish that I could have gotten to have told that story because it was sort of comedy and darkness and depth and all the things that I'm interested in. And then, uh, yeah, there was, um, maybe that's enough. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't mention yeah, yeah, you know, there, I, I, there was another one about it. There was another one about a, a famous legendary, uh, saloon, keeper let's just say Some, someone who i thought you know was of, of their time an interesting person who is no longer with us and maybe something can be done but uh yeah so i'll, I'll be a little vague right <laughs> yeah no, no no worries now uh you know you, you're a sketch guy comedy guy real quick snl or kids in the hall oh that's interesting uh for me snl uh but i asterisk brain candy oh, i yeah. actually it's funny that you, I actually was thinking about brain candy this morning, totally <laughs> separately. And I was like, I, I liked kids in the hall, the show, but I loved brain candy. Yeah. Maybe that makes me a weirdo. I don't know. No, I mean, it, it's amazing. Actually, there's a new kids in the hall series. They rebooted it with uh, all the original guys and it's, it's fantastic. That's but right. They're on, That's right. on Amazon. So they can have like full frontal nudity and stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but I will say to sketch, this isn't really your either or, but I think you should leave the Tim Robinson show. Holy shit. Is that a tremendous comedy? I mean, 
that's some of the best comedy ever. Ever. Well, you heard it Love here it. first. Tim Robinson show. Well, Eddie, <laughs> it's been awesome sitting down with you, man. Uh, I, I, you I, I could go on and on. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again, but thanks for coming on Culture Dumps. This was fun. Thank you. All righty. Have a good time. I'll talk to you soon. Eddie Schmidt, everybody. Um, wow. Just a cool dude, a wealth of knowledge, you know, that that, that guy. I'm uh, really excited to have him on. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, again, on our Patreon, patreon.com slash culture dumps, we have dozens and dozens of bonus episodes about all different kinds of things, but we do have a side series called Docu Dumps, uh, as I mentioned uh, a bunch of times, where we review different documentaries. Um, Parks actually is putting up ours about uh, the film I Think We're Alone Now, which is about uh, the the world's, uh, two of the world's biggest fans of the singer Tiffany. Uh, it is disturbing to say the least. We also covered Project Grizzly on there. And if we're able to, we post uh, links to where you can find it. And we always mention where you can stream it and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, this was kind of a supplementary episode to, to DocuDumps because Eddie's films are amazing. I highly recommend you seek out his stuff. Um, also, we wanted to just remind you folks to subscribe to the show on whatever you listen to it on. And if you're able to drop a review, you know, um, write something nice or, or mean, but give us the five stars at least, you know, if you're going to write something terrible, uh, it really helps us out a lot. Um, and yeah, make sure you're following us on Instagram at culture dumps, send us questions and comments and suggestions at culture dumps at gmail.com. I'm Ryan Lichten. Our guest today was Eddie Schmidt. Keep on dumping.